0: Today's episode of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling is dedicated fully to the memory of the legendary and one and only American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. But
1: anyway, I know I got to go and you guys got to go, but uh, you don't want to miss this thing. We need the money. We need the wall. We need the history. We need the memories. And uh, Joe's trying to make that happen, and we all want to pitch in and make that happen, as you guys have here. So I'm very, very excited about it and being able to talk to you and you spread the word on it.
2: Well, Dusty, it's been our absolute pleasure and our dream come true, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about all the great moments, including, and how can we forget, your epic turn on WCW to join the NWO, (laughs) but that'll be a different talk for a different day. That was
1: not epic. That was a bullshit thing I did (laughs) in one night just for the hell of it. That wasn't even epic. That wasn't even a turn. I mean, come on. I wanted just to prove that night that I was just set Back there with his mouth open, the people nearly had a riot when I turned. On Larry Zabisco, of <laughs> all people. Holy Christ. Let's do your Hall of Fame speech again. Let's go for 90 minutes about Bruno at the swimming pool and you in the hedges. Um, anyway, I appreciate it. And like I say, you, Dusty. the 11th this week, you got to be there. It's a special moment for the building, for us for the history of of what it meant to Florida and hopefully the kids can understand a little bit more about the way I feel about it and obviously you guys and history of our business. So thank you very, very much, guys. Talk to you thank later. You, Anytime Dr. you want to call me about something else, next time just bring money and it'll be different. Obviously I'm doing this as <laughs> a go, but no. <laughs> it sounds good. Thank you, kids. All right. Thanks, our you.
3: Thank
4: you. Amen. come <laughs>
5: Listen to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there! This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW one-weight anyway champion. The ECW. When you want the
6: load down of professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs>
7: Well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but
5: Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? Oh, okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling.
7: Hey, man, what's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Well,
3: thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. What's going on, guys? This is the seven foot three hundred and thirty pound DNA of TNA. That's right, my DNA is outer space, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling.
5: You know, I I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure.
8: (laughs) They've worked in and around the wrestling business, they've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, hall of famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men!
0: This is the two-man power trip of wrestling. My name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz, and you are listening to, as I said off the top, a very special retrospective and a dedication to the life and memory of one of the greatest superstars in the history of professional wrestling, the one and only American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Now, if you've listened to any episodes of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling, it was on June 9th, 2015 that we published the episode with Dusty Rhodes. It was on June 8th, 2015 that we interviewed Dusty Rhodes to discuss the ongoing uh, creation of a wall of fame down there in Florida to honor the superstars and legends of championship wrestling from Florida. And we're going to get into the story about how that all came about in just a little bit, but... As we approach the one-year anniversary of Dusty's death, I just kind of have to take a second and look back at all the things that we've been able to accomplish since having the distinction and the honor of having Dusty's final interview and sharing his final thoughts on professional wrestling to the listening audience, which at that point was not very big, to be quite honest. And to think about the doors that it's opened for us since then, especially immediately following his passing, where John and I were participating in radio shows discussing it. We were being written about in websites like the Washington Post online and E! News and different websites, you know, covering wrestling. Uh, A big thank you to anybody who did cover the interview, but it's about Dusty Rhodes today. And it's about the fact that we've been able to interview so many of his contemporaries and so many people whose lives he touched, whether it was as an executive or if it was as a fellow performer. And it's going to be very cool to walk down memory lane. Putting this together was just fun to go back and listen to some of the episodes that I haven't listened to either from their original broadcast or just in a very long time. And I really hope the collection of guests that we were able to pull uh you're very uh you're very informed by it because it's a it's a pretty eclectic group of people. But to start with that, it's going to be the greatest of honors to welcome in Magnum TA before we get into the meat portion of the show. Magnum TA is coming on to discuss Dusty Rhodes as a friend, Dusty Rhodes as a boss, and Dusty Rhodes as a wrestler, as a as a performer, and somebody that you know these two guys were as thick as thieves. And Magnum TA, who does not do many interviews, has joined us and will be on the show in just a little bit. And for those of you wondering, yes, we will have Magnum back down the road to discuss his amazing career, which was obviously cut very, very short in Dusty Rhodes. Just being the amazing mind that he was, taking the injury of Magnum TA, and just being able to do so many amazing things. And you're going to hear from one of those guys that was also impacted by Magnum TA's injury a little bit later on. And just to think about some of the names that you're going to hear, I guess I'll just throw them out there, just so you can have a little bit of an idea. You're going to hear from Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You're going Hear from Robert Gibson, you're going to hear from Nikita Koloff, you're going to hear from Barry Blaustein, the director of Beyond the Mat. Yes, he has an amazing story about Jerry uh, about Dusty Rhodes. I was going to say, Jerry the King Lawler. I wish we could talk to Jerry the King Lawler about Dusty Rhodes, but you're also going to hear from the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. You're going to hear A little bit from an interview that we conducted all the way back, thinking all the way back to before we even had Dusty on with Steve Carino, who obviously, the king of old school, had an amazing feud with Dusty Rhodes back in ECW that we just, when we had Steve Carino on, it was one of the main things we wanted to talk about. It just so happened we published that interview after Dusty's passing, but still, nonetheless, it's just a great collection of clips. There's a couple more in there, but I'll let you be surprised by that. but, John, as I welcome you in here, please just share your thoughts on how the interview came together. You know, the, the impact that it's had on our show and the people we've been able to just come in contact with since the posting and since the news broke of his passing. And um, it's bittersweet. It's not something that we want to hang our hat on. But at the end of the day, it was such an honor that we were joined by Dusty Rhodes and his legacy will live on within the two-man power chip of wrestling for a very, very long time.
9: Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling, and this is one of the biggest episodes that we're ever putting together. Obviously, it is the tribute episode to late, great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and it's really hard to put into words the impact that Dusty had on our show, and it's just amazing and impressive and so surreal looking back at it. Like how the hell did we get on the American Dream Dusty Roads, one of the biggest names ever in the history of the business, one of the biggest, you know, influencers ever in the history of the business. He's just one of the greatest of all time. He's on the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, he'll just go down in history as easily one of the top guys ever. So just it's just so amazing and impressive that we were able to get him on the show and you think back on it and it's just the impact that it's had we've been able to talk to so many people because well, wow you guys had Dusty Rhodes last interview ever you know and unfortunately and very sadly he ended up passing away only a few short days later but you know what was on his mind before his passing and it was a lot about the roots of the American dream It was a lot about Florida we talked about Uh, Boris Malenko and the impact that he had on his career. Eddie Graham, the impact that he had on his career. He talked about uh, Mike Graham, of course, as well, a good friend of his, and Kevin Sullivan and and Gordon Soley, and a lot of the great parts that happened down there in Florida Championship Wrestling and Florida in general. So it's just great to get, you know, his thoughts on that. Uh, His ending with us was just hilarious and typical American Dream, Dusty Rhodes fashion, just so funny. And it's just crazy to think that, you know, we're just, you know, couple of wrestling fans we've been watching wrestling now I've been watching over 30 years you've been watching it for over 30 years and we're just fans or you know some people might say we're quote-unquote marks but it's just amazing I I've said this a few times that Dusty Rhodes called us wrestling
10: historians
9: so that's something I will never ever ever forget and you know we are talking briefly about the impact that he's had on the show, and it's crazy. Some of the people that we've been able to talk to because of Dusty and because of that interview that you know, we were able to do with him being his last one, I mean, we, I've been talking a little bit with Cody Rhodes. It was awesome to be able to, you know, reach out and get to chat to him for a little bit. Awesome to be able to talk to Kevin Dunn from the WWE. If anyone doesn't know who that is, he's the executive vice president. Vice President of TV for WB. So it was just amazing to be able to talk to him about it And He had some great stuff to say about Dusty It was just crazy Obviously a former guest of ours uh, Vince McMahon's personal attorney uh, Jerry McDivitt Just great to talk a little Dusty with him as well And then obviously you know The many other guys that we've talked to Dusty about Magnum TA Which was just surreal Great to talk to him uh, Ricky Steamboat So you'll hear a, a lot from these guys And we're going to put on some clips for you on the show So the impact that he had on his show on our Excuse me, on our show it's just amazing and it's you know it's just you, you never know how much Dusty can really you know reach out and touch you as you like to say you know it's his impact is just amazing for us and I just just want to say thank you to Dusty and you know it's quite an honor and quite a privilege to been able to say that we had on the American dream Dusty
0: Rhodes. Yeah, it's so well said, and I don't know how many times that you and I have had the conversation throughout the year just reflecting on the fact that, like, wow, man, I can't believe that we actually got to interview him, let alone it be the last interview. It's just its so crazy. It's something that'll be with us for the rest of our lives, whether the two-man power trip of wrestling ended tomorrow or it went on for a million years. It's still something that you and I know is just as friends and just as uh, two people who I remember going to a show with you back in, gosh, has to be about 2003, 2004, where Dusty was at, and just sharing those memories. It's just it's something that goes with you the rest of your life. And I know just in this whirlwind of a year and, and some of the things like that that are kind of brewing behind the scenes and uh not really going into it too much just yet, but just all of that would not have been possible had it not been opened by the door that Dusty Rhodes is behind and he kicked it open and it's just opened up this amazing world to us and just couldn't be any more thankful. But, John, just really give us the full story, if you can, the connection with Joe Malenko and how that really led to the actual interview that did get us uh, pretty much on the map, uh, courtesy of the American Dream. And then after that, we'll just come back very briefly, throw it over to Magnum TA, and get this show on the road.
9: So I keep wanting to, you know, whenever I think about the interview, obviously it was a year ago now, and, and it's crazy that a year has passed by, and he had, you know, since he had passed away. And thinking of how it all went down and just me, you know, the inner Mark and me, and I know you, you too, Chad, we were just kind of like freaking out that we were going to be able to get a chance to interview the American Dream. Dusty Rose just crazy to say. So, you know, we were talking to Joe Malenko. We had Joe Malenko on. We want to promote the wall down there for Florida Championship Wrestling. And so, we're, you know, we're talking, we're talking. He's like, ah, you know. You guys, you know, I want you guys to start promoting the, the wall even more. I want to get the name out there. I, I, I want to uh, make sure people donate to the wall. And you know, they're having the, the wall, the Wall of Fame. They had a, you know, somewhat of a Hall of Fame induction for for the the um, for the wall for Florida. So it's just crazy the way things worked out and broke down. So we had on Joe Malenko. We interviewed him about a great interview. We talked about Dusty a little bit, and you know, we talked in a few days later, and he says, hey. What about Dusty? Why don't you? Uh, why don't I have Dusty give you a call? You can have interview Dusty for the show. And I literally jumped out of my seat. I was I was floored. I couldn't believe it. I was like Dusty Rhodes. Oh my God. I'm like Hell yes. So you know, Dusty Rhodes calls me. It's just insane. You know, hey Johnny, this is a uh, dream calling. And it was just. It was almost like it was uh, Chad. It was almost like you were pranking me that uh, you know you're doing your Dusty Im- impersonation and he wasn't really calling me. So you know, the inner Mark in me kind of really really shined through and I just couldn't believe that he was calling me and we talked a few times and you know he's like you know basically asking me a few questions about the show about me and stuff and it's just so funny the american dream you know nobody really calls me johnny you know maybe just my dad but it's just so funny he's like johnny what's going on and when he would call me he's like dream again you know it was just so cool and so surreal and I still have the voicemail from him uh, when he left me a voicemail. I still have his phone number. He actually gave me a, a different phone number as well. He called it his my private line where you can only reach me, you know, for the interview. So, I mean, so I still have that saved in my phone. It's just all this stuff is just you know the inner fan in me, whatever you want to call inner Mark, the the wrestling historian in me was just totally tickled pink that we were able to. Talked to not only off air but on the air as well so it's just something I'll never ever forget and being his last interview is just something that's definitely bittersweet in a way and I just take it as thank God it was us because you know it's a real honor and a real privilege and I know that me and you are two of the biggest fans two of the biggest historians ever so you know if anybody were to you know do the final interview it really should be us and obviously you know There's some big things in the works as far as WB and and what they want with the interview and stuff. So you'll be hearing some more of that in the future, but that really has nothing to do with this interview now where you'll be hearing a lot of great clips from all the great past legendary wrestlers that we interviewed, and they're all talking about Dusty. You'll hear a little bit from Magnum TA, uh, Ricky Steamboat, Harley Race, Barry Blaustein. So, I mean, we have some great, great stuff on this show, and it was just such an unbelievable honor. I mean, I've said that quite a few times, but it's just amazing and awesome that we were able to get Dusty on and you know he has a great funny line at the end you know next time you guys want to do this bring some money i it, we it, i still laugh about that it's just so funny and what he had to say about Larry Zabisco, we actually talked to Larry Zabisco about it afterwards and we get a, some great stuff from Larry too so it's, he's so funny and you think about it he is the american dream i mean he is the guy he's just amazing he's just one of the greatest and it's just totally surreal. It just gives me goosebumps when you think about it. Like, we interviewed Dusty Rose. It's just crazy. So please sit back, relax, enjoy this tribute. And I hope somewhere, you know, looking down on us, smiling, you get the American Dream, Dusty Rose, thinking we did a you know, pretty damn good job putting this together. Because it's one of our favorite episodes to put together. It's just an absolute epic, to say the least. So once again, I just have to say thank you, Dusty. And
0: thank you to the American Dream. So many emotions and so many things going through both our heads and putting this together was a labor of love and I just can't wait for everybody to listen to this collection of just some of the greatest guests that we've had on sharing some of their fondest memories of an icon, the caliber of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And with all that being said, no two man power trip of wrestling business today. If you're listening to us, you are in with us. You know how to get our stuff. Please come back next week. We have a huge week scheduled, kicking it off with the legendary ECW original Raven. But now we're going to throw it on over to a two-time NWA United States champion, a guy who is so linked to the career of Dusty Rhodes. And if it wasn't for Dusty, this guy really would not have been put on the map the way he was. These two went together like peanut butter and jelly. And it is with our pleasure that we welcome on the great Magnum TA. So please enjoy and have fun listening to the Dusty retrospective.
4: hear it. Everybody play. Yeah. You know, you can't be too quick to
2: judge somebody.
8: There's rock and roll.
2: All right. Well, joining us on the line tonight is somebody who John and I are thrilled to be joined with. He's somebody that, when you think about Dusty Rhodes and you think about the legacy he's left behind, he's one guy who is definitely synonymous with the career of Dusty Rhodes. He's a two-time NWA United States champion, and he's one of the biggest icons to ever come out of the NWA. He is the one and only Magnum TA. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling.
11: Oh, uh, you, you guys are too kind, man. Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, it's our pleasure, and like I said, coming off the top, it's uh, bittersweet to have you on because we would love to do, you know, the full in-depth career retrospective because your career obviously has just got such an interesting, interesting backstory. Uh, but we want to start with Dusty Rhodes, and we want to talk about the legacy of Dusty Rhodes. Somebody who not only was somebody you worked with, not only somebody you worked for, but also was a great friend. And here we are one year later after the passing of the great dusty roads and what are kind of your uh your your retrospective thoughts uh on dusty's passing here a year passing from the dates
11: well you know you're never ready for something like that uh for me you know dusty besides our friendship he was like a john wayne figure to me and and i just uh i never pictured him just being gone in a nanosecond like he was i mean I had just seen him a few months uh, prior uh, to his passing, and I, and I knew he was—he—he he looked like he'd lost a lot of weight, and I, you know, thought maybe something was going on. But I, I talked to Michelle, and uh, and talking with him, and he said he'd had like a little health scare, but he, you know, things were under control, and and uh, you know, and he, and it was actually good that he, you know, lost some weight because you know Dusty was always a big guy, and uh, you know, big robust guy, so. You know, seeing him trimmed down, you know, I figured it was better on his heart and everything else. But obviously, uh, you know, that wasn't the case. There was something uh, deeper rooted there that was, you know, just taking him out systematically. So it was just, it was, uh, it was just overwhelming, uh, you know, for me. He actually died on my birthday, and uh, you know, just, you know, what a way to always memorialize and uh, you know remember one of your best friends in life's, you know, passing.
2: That's uh, yeah, that's terribly unfortunate. That's uh, that's definitely something that I know is going to go on with you for the rest of your days because of your close association. But, you know, you mentioned seeing him, you know, a few months prior to his passing. What was that like uh, looking back at it being your last interactions with Dusty? And uh, was it something that now, you know, maybe at the time it wasn't something you would think uh, you're going to cherish so fondly. But looking back, is it just surreal that that was the last time you spent with him?
12: Yeah,
11: it was surreal. It, and Dusty and I had this really unique relationship. We could we could talk one week and, and talk the next week and, and have the same kind of conversations. We could go six months without talking and pick right up where we left off. We'd always had uh, such a strong bond and, and such a strong uh, mutual respect for each other and just uh, you know, so much of the same passions in life that when we reconnected we just always picked right up where we left off and uh the the time that i got to spend with him was actually up there in new york at a uh, at a fan fest and uh i had my youngest son uh tucker with me and so he had always heard about dusty and never got a chance to meet him and uh spend any time with him so that was really cool that he got to you know sit with him a couple hours and dusty's just such was you know so big on family and and, you know, those kind of things anyway, that he was just, uh, you know, great with kids and certainly great with uh, with our son. And, uh, you know, it, it was special. And I'm glad, glad we got to have uh, that kind of one-on-one time. Uh, and certainly, you know, I had no idea it would be the last time I'd ever see him here.
2: Yeah, again, just so unfortunate. You know, it's um, you know, from a wrestling fan's perspective, obviously, it's losing somebody that you know you get to you got to see on a weekly basis and get to know them and feel like they were your friend. And it's great that you were able to introduce your son and and bring him into the world of Dusty Rhodes. But how did you exactly become yourself into the world of Dusty Rhodes and your first impressions of meeting uh, someone who you said was like a John Wayne figure to you?
11: I was wrestling for Eddie Graham in Championship Wrestling in Florida, and uh, Dory Funk Jr. was the booker uh, when I was first there, and and I was and I was real good friends with uh, Mike Graham. Mike's the one that brought me in, and and so I was there and and just you know kind of learning the ropes and uh, you know working my way you know on the bottom up the middle of the card and uh, you know just again paying my dues and, and learning. Learning the art that we all, you know, were so passionate about. And I met Barry Wyndham about a month prior to uh, meeting Dusty. And Barry and, and Dusty were very close because of Dusty's relationship with, with, with uh, Barry's dad, Blackjack uh, Mulligan. And, and Barry and I, we, we struck up this immediate, uh, very unique relationship as well. And when Dusty came in, uh, it kind of just put me in a situation where because of Barry's relationship, I, I was kind of thrown into the mix and, and uh, traveled with him and went down the road with him. And then times when Barry wasn't there, it would just be Dusty and I, we just uh, found we had this kind of kindred spirit thing going on. And it was it was just amazing because Dusty, everybody can imagine Dusty going down the road listening to Willie Nelson, but Dusty could listen to Frank Sinatra and, all kind of just old nostalgic music and things like that, and be just as passionate about that as he was country music. And I had this real diverse background in music and different things like that too. So we just we we uh, we we hit it off big down there in Florida. Uh, had a very strong bond, and it just grew uh, and continued to grow. You know, over from like 1982, uh, you know, until you know his passing.
10: He definitely had a lot of influence on your career. Now, when you went to the NWA and kind of, you know, JCP Jim Crockett promotions, did Dusty basically bring you in there and kind of, you know, be your mentor, so to speak?
11: Well, it was it was a unique situation because I had been with Dusty in Florida, and I was down in Florida for about a year and a half working, working for Florida Championship Wrestling, and I actually got the break to become and the opportunity to work on top for Bill Watts in, in uh, mid South. And that was a, you know, that was an opportunity that, that I couldn't pass up. It was really hard to, to you know, leave all my friends and you know, leave Florida. That was such a great place to work. But, you know, Dusty was encouraging me to grow and, and to, you know, get, get that kind of working on top experience. That he knew Bill could offer me, and Bill was, and Bill was kind of out of that Eddie Graham school of uh, psychology and everything about about the business. So Dustin knew that that would be a a big step for me. So when I went to work there, and and we blew that territory wide open. Uh, I mean, it was you know, doing record business, Junkyard Dog was there, Jim Duggan was there, I was there, Mr. Wrestling too, Rocking Roll Express, Midnight Express, I mean, it was just a, it was an amazing uh, territory at the time, and Dusty had come to work for Jim Crockett as the booker for, you know, the the old Mid-Atlantic, and he'd brought Barry with him, well, the territory was just on its rear end, I mean, the the top guys were making four or $500 a week, which, you know, I know that you know, to some people it doesn't sound like a little bit of money, but when you're you know, back in an era when when um, Black Jack Blackjack and those guys were making two, three thousand dollars a week when things were going big time, uh, you know, that was pretty much in the dumps. And when Barry when Barry had come in to be the top baby face in the territory and uh, with Dusty and Barry couldn't couldn't handle the the poor financial state of the union, so to speak. And he took off and went to New York and uh, I'll never forget it. Dusty called me late one night. I was living there in Alexandria, Louisiana. And, uh, and he was practically, you know, he was just broken. He couldn't believe, first of all, buried just up and left and, and left them in that situation. And he put Jim Crockett uh, on the phone with me. And Jim said, look, if you will come, he said, I'll give you as big of an opportunity as, as you can handle. You can, you know, you can, you can do anything that you're capable of doing. And I was working on top. I was a North American heavyweight champion for Bill Watts. I mean, we were on fire. I'd had my first six figure a year ever in the business. I mean, it was just going crazy. And, but I believed in Dusty. And I believed that he had this just amazing ability to, you know, create magic, uh, in, in the ring and on television and those things. And I knew that if, uh, if I had his full support and with what I'd learned under the tutelage of working for Bill, that, uh, that my career could just skyrocket. So, uh, I took, I rolled the dice and took the chance and, and, uh, had a lot of people tell me I was crazy for leaving to, to go take that chance to do that. But, uh, you know the rest is history it was It was obviously the right thing to do and it wasn't long after i'd been here that uh uh you know the territory exploded and you know jim Crockett promotion you know, took off on that meteor meteor ride uh to the top so it was it was a pretty amazing thing and and without dusty's vision and his creative genius and his passion and his leadership skills and all the things that uh he was just so good at uh none of it would have happened
10: and it's crazy the amount of talent that was there at that point too with yourself and you know Dusty and the four horsemen and Nikita Poloff's just crazy and for to have you know basically Dusty with his booking kind of set the territory off in the right direction did you kind of sense you know from him that you know he's kind of like a, a genius in a way with his booking and his ability to You know, kind of put the right talent in the right spot and give them the right push, and you know, at the right time, basically.
11: Well, yes, and and he he, I mean, he was he was certainly so far ahead of his time, and he spent so long. Eddie Graham was a genius, and he studied everything of psychology with Eddie, and and learning about what you do and how you build somebody and. and and, you know the psychology of the business and the angles and what draws money and what doesn't draw money and Dusty always had a a huge bigger vision than anything that was ever going on around him I mean he envisioned the pay-per-view and and the great big mega events before there was ever Wrestlemania Dusty had already he had already foreseen that in his head Uh, they used to laugh and call him Cecil B. DeMille sometimes because he'd have those grandiose, you know, uh, ideas and things that he would want to put together. But, you know, it's just so, so, uh, you know, appropriate that his nickname, the American dream, because he nobody dreamed bigger than Dusty. But then nobody worked harder than Dusty to make those dreams become a reality.
10: Dusty is definitely you know, without a doubt, one of a kind. Uh, we've said it before. He's kind of like one of those Mount Rushmore guys because not only was he such a big star in front of the camera, he was so great behind the, you know, behind the scenes and creating stuff, like putting things together, like those ma- major, major shows, like you said before, WrestleMania was even there. But when you know, Dusty is the head booker and everything, does he tell you he's kind of grooming you to be the next guy, you know, he's going to groom you to be the next NWA
12: champion?
11: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that was, i mean—that was the goal from the word go. I mean, I—that—that that was the only thing that I wanted to do. Period. Was was to uh, you know make it to the top and 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 have a run with the world title, and you know a serious run, not a you know two-week wonder like some people experienced. I mean, I I, I truly wanted to be in a position to be able to carry the load, to be able to to carry the franchise and and be able to work with the diversity of, of people you had to be able to to have, you know, great matches with uh, around the world because at that time the NW, uh, NWA champ, you know, traveled everywhere and uh, we'd work with the champions in the different territories and, uh, you know, it was just, I mean, it was a big deal and it was a shoot because uh, the world champ made 10% of the gate you know they they paid the champ a uh, total of thirteen percent, but three percent went to the NWA and ten percent went to the champ. You know if you uh, if you ever get the opportunity to ask Ric Flair about his first hundred thousand dollar month, uh, if he's if he's in a in good brain cells state of mind that day, you might remember <laughs> back to to uh, 1985 and he and I wrestled. Uh, all the way around the loop. And I wrestled him 19-hour broadways in one month. And he had his first wow. $100,000 a month. Wow. So he was making 10%. I was making 3%. <laughs> but it was still more money than I'd ever made. And uh, But that was, you know, there was a real financial reason, not just a prideful reason, to want to be the champion back in those days. Because, I mean, you... Had the opportunity to make more money than anybody out there. If you did a hundred thousand dollar house, you were gonna make ten grand, and that was big.
10: Hmm. And it's crazy, you know, to think about, you know, how much money you guys were making at that point, and, and how well, you know, the NWA and pro wrestling in general was kind of skyrocketing. But obviously, you know, then you, you had a car accident, and everything kind of came. You know, to a halt there, and you know, you weren't going to obviously be the NWA champion anymore. Did Dusty kind of, you know, how was he during that whole period? Was he, you know, very consoling to you because that had to be one of the most trying times of oh, yeah.
13: Well,
11: well, you know, he he was a man's man, and he, we, you know, we didn't ever sit down and have a pity party about it or anything. I mean, he knew that that no matter what I did, I was going to give it all that I had and I was going to find a way and be the best I could be at whatever it was I was capable of being. And, uh, you know, whether that were to be, you know, working in some other capacity in the wrestling business or some other venture or some, I mean, I I don't think there was anybody that I was associated with with in that industry that believed in me and, and, and what I could do more than him. Uh, when I ended up out of the wrestling business completely and uh, gotten involved in a completely different industry, and uh, you know, Dusty and I would talk, and and when he heard the things that I'd done and that what I was continuing to do, he was just he was really proud of me. He was always encouraging and always made me feel just as special about the things that I did that were not uh, you know that performed in front of millions of people. And uh, you know got all the accolades and the things that we got in the business. He always made me feel just as good about the accomplishments and things that I did and overcame and worked with uh, as he did when I was out there you know by his side and you know in the greatest arena of all time when we were you know when we were wrestling together so he he wasn't a superficial guy; he was a real down to earth care about people. Uh, you know, look deep into somebody's uh, soul, what they're made of. And that's, you know, that's what really his legacy, that's what he ended up transitioning into himself as he became not the performer and not the the man in the, you know, the center of the ring anymore, but the one behind the scenes, grooming and nurturing and trying to find let all these young people that were trying to find their path, you know, helping them to develop their skill sets and that's why he was so loved by his kids at uh NXT. I mean, it was just amazing uh the, the ones that I talked to uh at his funeral that how he had impacted their lives and just how much respect they had for him and uh just everything. It was just it really did me good to hear that because it, I wasn't part of that. That uh part of his life. I I, I never saw that what wasn't working with him in it. Uh you know, I was doing things I had continued to pursue and do, and uh, it, it, was, it was good to hear uh, those genuine feelings of, of love that, you know, that those folks had for him and, and what he gave back that, that made his legacy even greater.
10: Definitely. He def- captures the hearts of not only the fans, but the guys he worked with and the guy you know, the kids that he's teaching. And we were kind of talking about off air earlier today, you were mentioning how you know, with WWE, with the NXT, that, that was Dusty's, like, he loved developing talent, He that role to suit him. How come he's such a good, you know, like, he's so good at developing guys? Is he just, he's just that in tune? He's, like, that good of a teacher?
12: Well,
11: he's, I mean, you've heard him do an interview. I mean, anybody mm-hmm. living and breathing been around. And you can't be that great of a communicator without being in tune with people. Because you don't just talk to yourself, talk to feed your own ego. You talk based on, you know, what you think your audience is out there, you know, what, what they're thinking, how things are going to affect them emotionally, and he knew how to connect with people. So he could, when he found people that, you know, have a passion for the industry, I mean, it wasn't like he was out there trying to build the next, uh, you know, Ric Flair or Sting or or a character, is trying to find people let people find their niche, their ability to you know find this thing within themselves that, that they can they can cultivate because charisma and and the things that made the stars the great stars they were that that's something that you you either have in you or you don't. And Dusty had the ability to see it in people that may not even realize that they had it themselves. And we give them a platform to, to try to develop that. He did it with me in Florida. He had me doing all these goofy things, I thought. Uh, you know, little little vignettes and stuff. He had me doing a thing called straight talk with the boss uh, down in Florida. He always had me doing some little goofy thing that always seemed so silly at the time, but I realized in just giving somebody an opportunity to get comfortable in front of a you know, in front of a, a, a live Feed television and comfortable on the mic comfortable in front of people that you have to do all that to get loosened up enough to be able to find yourself and find what you're really comfortable at doing and i mean it, all he all he really did was enable people to find the best in themselves by giving them the tools and the little skill sets to to kind of overcome their own phobias and fears and everything else and he used to tell me that uh it wasn't like he was trying to come up with some character for them to portray, but he said they do acting classes and they do exercises and they just have little different, you know, regular acting type things that he would have them do that have nothing to do with wrestling, but it would enable them to, you know, come out of their shell, get get comfortable, you know, with the idea of becoming a character, something that they could, you know, believe in and sell and do. And, and uh, you know, that's really... You know the big part of our industry that's kind of lost, because today they they look at somebody and they say, "Well, you look like you know Little Bo Peep." Therefore, here's this dialogue, and I want you to go read it and do it and make it your own. But well, you got to be a pretty darn good actor to be able to do that, and and do that with passion. And, so, and and my hats off to them. There's a lot of them that can do that, but there was a whole lot more that were successful. Developing a character that they were comfortable with, like Rick did, like Dusty did, like I did, like Hulk Hogan did, and uh, Triple H, uh, Shawn Michaels, because we were constantly honing this character and doing these improvisational things to support the character in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and and it, it, it drew everybody into this story. and and intertwined us in their lives. So they wanted to come see these battles and and these things, you know, be resolved in the ring. And it was just, uh, you know, a different time. And I, I don't know that they'll ever be able to recreate that when, you know, they're subjected to having to do it the way they do now.
10: It's definitely a completely different business, and it's definitely hard to kind of break the shell of wrestling when when you're reading someone else's words and you're not really saying your own words. And you mentioned it before about Dusty and his promos. I can't even imagine somebody else writing a promo and handing it to Dusty and Dusty having to read that promo. You know, we wouldn't have gotten hard times and all those other awesome promos, (laughs) you know, right? No,
11: No, it would have never happened and and to the, to the same extent though dusty wasn't so rigid to say you know they're just doing it all wrong you know we we had it right you guys don't know what you're doing you're messing up the business da, 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 da. he 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 accepted the fact that things change things evolve they you know nothing ever stays stagnant if it's going to continue to be marketable and something people want to see and he found out how to to mold, you know, get the most out of what he could offer to you know the next level of what's coming in the business, and he helped he helped develop you know countless people that you know went on to be successful and and have you know very very successful careers because he didn't become so rigid in his thought processing that uh, he just made himself a dinosaur. So he he was very very smart to you know, to be able to do that rather than just getting, you know, a big case of the attitude and, you know, we had it right. Y'all, y'all got it wrong. Well, you know, that, that, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't lend itself to anybody having any kind of longevity or being able to contribute to, you know, what's going on in the modern times. So he, he was very much ahead of his time, you know, throughout his entire life and his career.
10: Definitely was way ahead of his time. I mean, like you said, he always evolved with the times. And one thing that he did differently, which was at the time very surprising, Nikita Koloff. I mean, obviously, you know what happened with you, but then he turns Nikita Koloff from heel to, to babyface, and he teamed with him, creating his superpowers. And then, you know, he you basically come out and manage them, and it's one of the craziest ovations, one of those goosebump moments, one of those things where like you had to have the touch of the people. and and really connect with the people to understand how that moment was going to be so huge. Can you just take us back to when that happened with uh, Nikita, Dusty, and you coming out to that awesome ovation?
11: Yeah, Baltimore. It was was absolutely crazy. It was about uh, six months after I'd had the accident, and uh, they were on fire as a babyface tag team, and that was my first public appearance uh, since the accident. And, you know, it was one of those things. That you can't write you can't write a script for, you know, the opportunity that Nikita was given to turn babyface. I'd made him the most hated man in the world, uh, with the angle that him and I'd done. I mean he had more heat than anybody imaginable. So for him to come to Dusty's side and to my defense, uh, you know, was just perfect because you know nobody but the monster who who been in the battle and and all those things could have that turn and have that effect on the people because they knew he had, you know, this, even though he was so hated that he had this deep rooted respect for, you know, what had transpired and what had gone on. So, you know, you could never be given that opportunity in real life because obviously, you know, something that devastating happening to somebody you can't write in a script could be for real. And, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, I mean, it was absolutely the right thing to do at, at the right time. And then uh, when, you know, I came out in that that match in uh, in Baltimore, it was absolutely overwhelming. Uh, it, it, was, it was one of the most emotional things I've ever been part of.
2: It's one of the most emotional moments probably in the history of not just uh, the NWA or, or anything, probably professional wrestling because it's just, like, you, like we've all said, it's raw emotion. But also, I just had the chance to watch recently your return to uh, the Norfolk Scope, and that's just as uh, emotional as well. And it just seemed like, you know, that was always um, something to have Dusty by your side. It just it seems like you could feel uh, the two of you and the chemistry you had. You know, just it, it bled through the television, but. If we could just touch on Dusty as a creator, you know, obviously not just uh, as a booker or a matchmaker, but as a a creative mind, you know, he created the War Games. He created some of the the most innovative pay-per-view concepts that there's ever been. Is there anything that you felt Dusty ever held back on when it came to uh, creating something? Because obviously we've talked about the War Games with multiple guys who participated and still feeling the effects today, and obviously that means uh, it did its job.
11: Yeah, yeah i don't think he i don't think he was ever held back because of his creative creativity i think not knowing how to logistically do some of the the s- cinematography type things in the i mean he would envision something in his in his mind that would be like something out of a movie and and he didn't have the support team around him like you know like something like the w w e u- universe has if he'd had those kind of folks around him there wouldn't even be a WWE today. He would have. He would have. They would have destroyed, you know, that whole organization, because if he, with the the momentum and things he had going, he just didn't have the support. The Crocketts were great little, you know, mom and pop type, you know, family and and history and and you know done great things, but they didn't have. They weren't hiring people from CDS and. Uh, you know, big sports companies and things like this to come in and show them how to do things. So the only limitations that, you know, that kept Dusty's ideas and things from going to the moon were the fact he didn't have all the resources around him to make all those things become a reality.
2: Would you say there was a general feeling with the guys backstage that Dusty was in that vein, that he was ahead of the curve and he did see things in a bigger picture and in a time where the WWF and the NWA were at each other's throats, even before the, you know, elusive Monday night war back in the eighties, where it was just as cutthroat in certain parts of the country. Did the the rest of the troops in the roster see that Dusty was really doing what he could to make sure you guys had the most innovative, you know, concepts and and product possible?
11: Yeah. As long as we were selling out and and doing the kind of business in in the revenue and people were making money, and their families were, you know, living a good life. Everything was all good. Nobody questioned anything. the the biggest the the biggest conflict of all of it that anybody would ever want to poke at was that there was two people. So there was Dusty, who was this this charismatic performer and a star in, in its own right and in center stage and part of the main event. And then there was Virgil Dusty Virgil Runnels. Who was this Booker? You know, working on the corporate side and the business side, and 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 I think some of the biggest frustrations when people came was because you know he's booking himself, he's booking others. You know, you know people would be, you know, they would want to be uh, in an opportunity that they might feel he put himself in, and you know it could have been somebody else in that spot that might have done a better. Uh, you know, job as, as, as some particular thing, but I mean that was just a tough place. That'd be like, you know, Babe Ruth, you know, being the the general manager of the team and and calling out where he's going to be at bat and everything he's going to do too. And Dusty was kind of in that spot. I mean, he could he could do it all. He would had more he had as much or more charisma than anybody in the business during that era, and he could still perform and could still go out there and go twenty thirty minutes and tear the house down and and then he's still doing all this creative stuff and this business stuff too so you know it's it's like it's kind of almost a conflict of interest but it's making money in box office on the other end and everybody's driving around in big shiny cars and buying new houses and and making more money than they've ever made in their life so you know you, you you've just got to take some of that with it. Cause you've got, you had to have an ego. You had to have something to keep you driven to be as in something as competitive as we were all doing. And that was just part of it. But, uh, you know, Dusty, he loved it. He loved the, he loved the boys. He loved the business. He loved the life. And, uh, you know, I got to say he didn't leave any of it on the table. He, he went for it. He swung for the fences and uh, he gave it all he had every, every time he was up to bat.
2: Yeah, and do you think Dusty felt that from the, uh, the other guys, that they felt that little bit of, uh, you know, a nudge that here's the Booker, uh, but the Booker is, you know, the, the charismatic, and he is the, the fan favorite, and he is one of the biggest stars in the business. Did he feel that, do you think, that there was a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of that side look from some of the guys that maybe they should be ascending to that spot when he was uh, holding still in there?
11: Yeah, yeah, I, I know that Flair and him were were jousting back and forth for a long time. Uh, you know, a lot. And and probably Tully uh was stirring that pot some too back then and then you know, of course other players and other personalities team and you know, Oly was involved and Ole, of course, very outspoken. Everybody knows ollie uh isn't exactly a wallflower about keeping his opinion to himself. And because uh, he's highly, he was highly intelligent man and, and run a successful organization, but facts are facts. He never did anything as successful as what Dusty was able to pull off the Jim Crockett promotions. Uh, granted, it was, you know, everything's about timing and opportunity. So, you know, when I came to work for for Jim, you know, it was Dusty and Wahoo and Rick and Tully was there and not a lot of not a real big youth movement and so when i came and left the on fire territory and everybody you know just was being told that i'd lost my mind that i'm you know, leaving to go to the you know going to siberia or something uh, that when i went and then all of a sudden my phone's ringing and i'm talking to the rock and roll express i'm talking to the midnight express I'm talking to terry taylor Talking to Arn Anderson, talking to all these different folks, that all want to know how things are going. And the next thing you know, I'm like the Pied Piper. They've all followed me over. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just, it kept, you know, it kept just feeding in new on fire talent that all just came out of a place that was on fire. And it was e- easy for them just to roll it on over on a bigger stage and turn it up even higher. So you know, it was a lot of momentum things happen out of me taking that leap of faith and coming over from Mid South to you know work for work for the Crockett's and and uh, a lot of things you know good things that ensued thereafter.
2: And were you surprised when Dusty ended up leaving Crockett and going to uh, the WWF for that short stint that he had in the early nineties?
11: Well, no, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised. It, it was it was part of the uh, you know, that, that animosity thing, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, people, you know, that, that's it. after, uh, you know, Crockett's had lost the business, sold it out to Turner, uh, you know, a lot of power struggles, a lot of other people wanting to come into power and everything else. So no, it didn't, it didn't surprise me. I mean, you know, everything, everything runs in cycles and you have a season and it, you know, it, you know, those kind of things happen. But, uh, I thought, no, I really thought that was entertaining because I just sat back and watched as, you know, as they took, took, you know, a guy and put him in a situation that, uh, you know, a lesser man would have crumbled and dusty made it a success. You know, I mean, he made the po- the, the polka dots, cool he made you know the common man theme and all the stuff and and you know the the unlikely valet and all the all the things that he had you know given to him and and made them all a success and i think that's why he ended up having such a uh you know long successful relationship uh with the wwe because they they had to respect him you know somebody had that kind of talent that you can give them uh you know, you can give him an old sock, and they can turn it into a nice fancy suit. I mean, he knew how to, you know, he knew how to make something out of nothing. And he, he, he no shortage of talent, and no no shortage of, of star appeal. Uh, no matter what what he, what he was given, he made the most of it.
10: It's funny uh, as I start to wind it down here. I remember as a kid thinking that polka dots were actually cool because they're, you know, dusty. Basically, you know, made them cool somehow, some way. We, looking back, nearly impossible. No one else would have been able to pull that off. But, you know, of course, Dusty Rose really can pull it off.
11: Exactly.
10: <laughs> it's so funny. But, you know, looking back and thinking of Dusty's career, but now you're looking at the, you know, the, the president and Cody, who's actually your godson. And I don't know if a lot of people know that. He's, you know, he's obviously, you know, he's on his way out of the WWE and everything else. But what's your relationship like with Cody Rhodes nowadays?
11: You know, we we totally lost contact uh, with just with life in this in general. When uh, when Dusty, you know, when Dusty went to New York and and I started off life in a whole different industry, uh, we really didn't. We had like no contact at all. Like growing up. First time I saw Cody was with Dusty working at a uh, worked an indie show for a promoter here in Spartanburg, and uh, I saw Cody and I just couldn't believe, you know, the young man he'd grown into, and and you know, finding out about just things he'd done in high school and the athlete he'd become and his passion for the business and that uh, you know he had, he'd gone through the endeavors to to uh, you know learned the craft like he had. And, uh, you know, I was really proud of him. And, and I, I mean, he had a 10-year run in the WWE. And, and uh, you know, I've got to respect the fact that uh, he has a vision, like his dad, you know, for what he feels like he could offer the business. And if he doesn't feel like uh, he feels like he's in a dead-end Kind of situation, and he's just kind of going through the motions. Uh, then you know everybody deserves to live their life and, and be able to be the best they can be. And he's still a young man. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of other wrestling opportunities out there. They're not the WWE, by you know, to be sure. But you know, you can uh, go other places and, and make very good money and not work as crazy as schedules and be under the same regiment that they have to be and and enjoy your craft. So, you know, I'm sorry that it didn't work out uh the way that he envisioned, but you know what? You know, you, you you watched enough stuff happen. Don't ever you never say never. Uh he Cody's all the go do something big in Japan and all of a sudden, you know, they'll have a whole new whole new group of guys up there. Uh, calling the shots in the WWE, and they're like, he'll be like a new guy to him all over again. He could still be a main event in WrestleMania one day.
13: <laughs>
11: yeah. mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's still young enough that can happen.
10: Yeah, something tells me he's going to be just fine, and he's going to be, you know, quite busy. He's probably going to be one of the, you know busiest wrestlers. I'm going to guess towards the end of this year and next year, you know, for sure. You know, but looking back at uh, Dusty's amazing, amazing career, do you have a favorite? You know, maybe a favorite match that you took part with him in, or maybe a favorite, uh, maybe a favorite like promo you were with him. Do you have a, like some favorites?
11: Well, you know, th- every time you were in the ring with him, it was like a night off. It was always it was just a lot of fun. The some of the most fun stuff we did was when we did the James Boy stuff, because we, we, we always envisioned ourselves as reincarnations. Of Frank and Jesse James, and of course he was the older brother, uh and that was our nicknames for each other behind the scenes. I was always Jesse, mm. and he was always Frank. Mm. And so when we decided to do that little the little deal with the Midnight Express, and well I don't know what we were supposed to be in trouble for while we while we had to be under mask, but anyway, that was just really entertaining because uh we had Baby Doll, you know, working with us, and of course Cornet was just a hoot. Anyway, he was he was so funny to. To uh, do anything with, so uh, we, we had a lot of fun doing some of that stuff. I'm just thankful we didn't we didn't have anything bad happen to anybody. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of impromptu things that weren't thought out real well that could have had catastrophic uh, consequences. <laughs>
10: <laughs> if you looking back, because Dusty was the master of the promos. If you look at the history of wrestling, it's almost like him and superstar Billy Graham at that one point, late 70s, early 80s, they just set it off where promos were key. They would bring people into the building, and he, and he was the master of it. He kind of set it off, and obviously Slayer took it to the level he took it to. But do you have a favorite, Dusty Promo, looking back. Do you, do you ever passionate, you know, when he reach out and touches the screen, I want to reach out and touch the screen.
11: Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't have one because when you're standing right there next to him, and you're doing it, and you're part of it. Is it, it you know, we had those kind of conversations driving down the road, and uh, in, in in the car with the windows down and the music blaring, and he was such a great storyteller, just in life that they it, every day with him was like that for me. The little huh. snippets that that you guys got were you know almost comical because they were captured and they were and they had a strategic message, but. The, the things that he would just say and do off the cuff—that's how all that creative thing, all those things happened. I mean, the things that he thought up, and you know, the, the original Midnight Rider deal he did down in Florida when, before I'd ever become Magnum TA and all that stuff. And I was—we were all riding down the road when he came up with that. So it, it was just—you uh, know—that was the—that was the big thing in those days. I mean, Black Jack Mulligan, I he was a great storyteller, you know, guys that could, you know, weave this, this story with a charm and a way that, you know, appealed to everybody from granny and, you know, in the kitchen to you know, mama and, and dad and the kids and everybody would get pulled in to this, this world that, you know, they could almost you know, live vicariously you know, with you and through you and through these struggles. So you know th- that's what I was you know, cut my teeth on, and uh, and today it's you know like you know considered the golden era, but that was all that I knew. That's that's the way it was supposed to be.
2: Yeah, and you know a golden era to say the least, and uh, just an era that I think uh, a lot of fans yearn for. And fortunately, never going to reach the heights it is, but it'll move on to different heights, and different uh, things will emerge from the uh, from the bellows. But you talk about riding the roads and the promos with Dusty. I think all the fans, whoever, fans of Dusty or fans of yours, have always sat there and imagined themselves doing those same promos. I know myself, I would not know the word bunkhouse had it not been for the great Dusty Rhodes. But, Magnum, you touched on it a few minutes ago, but if you don't mind expanding as we wrap up, when you look back at the end of the day, what is Dusty Rhodes' final legacy on professional wrestling?
11: Well... What he what he was was you know a hero, and he was a man's man, and he he did he took on the the same genre that John Wayne did, that Clint Eastwood did, that the great sports legends did. I mean, you know what Muhammad Ali did for boxing, and uh, where he took that with his flamboyant style and and his promos and things he did. He took those from the greats, and like Dusty, and and he mimicked what he did from those. So you know, we we've just you know, had the passing of Ali, and I think Dusty Muhammad Ali, people like that will you know, have made a legacy and, and made a place for themselves in history that uh, you know will be remembered you know throughout time. And and and, I, and I, you're right, it won't ever be equaled. It'll never be surpassed because. That, that platform that we enjoyed uh, just doesn't exist anymore.
2: And I think one word that can be synonymous with both Muhammad Ali and Dusty Rhodes is simply the greatest. No respect.
4: No honor. Go. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. Took your place, Daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking and Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard uh, time. And
14: Dusty Rhodes last week. Uh, what are some of your memories of working with the Dream? And, uh, you know, we'll get to what he was doing right before he passed, but uh, share some of your memories of uh, working with Dusty. Well,
12: D- Dusty was pretty he- – he was fun to be around. He uh, did a lot for the business. He's an icon; everybody knows. My hats off to him. I remember matches when we had six-man tag matches. We would get in the ring, and he would he would say, "Brother,"
14: he just
12: tie one of them bandanas around me, so we tie him around him. It was, it was pretty cool.
14: Now, how was it working for Dusty? Uh, you know, as a booker, and uh, you know, was it uh, was, was he always was he fair? with some of his his booking ideas? And uh, was he one of the guys that, uh, since he was obviously still active, was he easy uh, to work with if there was something that you guys didn't really want to do?
12: Well, we more or less did what we wanted to do.
14: Uh,
12: We had the ball, and we ran
14: with it, you know.
12: Uh, I remember back in Bill Watts' days, Bill Watts made everybody wear suits. We we didn't have to wear the suits because we were rock and roll. (laughs) We got away with a lot of stuff.
14: Definitely, definitely. And prior to, uh, to Dusty's passing, he was working with the WWE and the NXT developmental, uh, I guess they, you can't really say territory, program or system, but uh, you yourself uh, are working with training the next stars of tomorrow. What is it that you and Dusty can bring to that next generation of stars that are learning and the kids that are uh, learning from a new generation of watching wrestling, but you guys have the touch the to the old school. What do, you, what do you teach these kids that are coming up today?
12: The knowledge,
14: how to go out there and work.
12: It's not just about hot spots. It's how to go out there and perform.
14: And how, uh, and Dusty, actually, uh, we had him on, uh, honored to have him on right before he passed, and he stressed knowing the history of the business. Is that something that you also stress to your guys?
12: That's what I'm saying, the knowledge, yeah, the history of the business. Learned. Never stop learning in this business. You know, Dusty told me before he passed, he he appreciated what I did, you know, when I helped train Cody. Uh, Right. Me and Al Snow. Me and Al Snow. But, yeah, Cody was good and uh, went on to be really good. So, Dusty, Dusty, thank me for that.
4: The I was going to come back to win the Florida Heavyweight Championship. Then I made him a promise just a couple of weeks ago that I was going to win the World Heavyweight title. And the film we're watching now is history. It's history in this armory because Dorothy Funk Jr. had won the World title there. It is history because there are three people from West Texas State University who have been World Heavyweight Champion. And it is history because Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, the plumber's son who has dreamed a dream. And live the dream have made that dream come true. And all these things here you see in Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race in the greatest match in the history of Fort Heffley Armory. You see in the greatest uh, event ever to take place in Tampa. And you see in the greatest moment in my life as you will watch and you will listen and you will see. But pretty easy from now. Definitely.
10: Now, now another guy that you feuded with, another absolute legend, was the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, and he has passed away recently. What are your thoughts and memories on uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes?
3: Dusty was probably one of the best
6: uh,
3: interview people in wrestling. He could talk about anything on the face of God's green earth and make it sound like it's extremely important. But then he's always throw in the reminder, I'm better.
10: (laughs) Now, as far as in-ring, how did did you like your matches with Dusty? You guys had some great matches uh, for the NWA title.
3: Overall, uh, Dusty uh, could perform in that ring as well as just about anybody.
10: Yeah, I guess a lot of people have a little bit of a misconception about Dusty because of his body, that he couldn't go, but obviously he had hour-long matches, and he was actually a pretty damn good wrestler. You you agree?
3: Yes, he was.
10: Do you have any uh, fond memories, any matches that stick out that you and Dusty had, maybe matches over the NWA title?
3: Too many to really count. Uh, I never really had a bad performance with Dusty on any match we ever had.
10: Hmm. Now, You know, David Cricket, it's
4: understood by now that Ole Anderson, one of the 4 is back in seven, eight, nine years of my lifetime, has been spent waking up in the morning with a toothache or black eye or stitches in my face at the hands of Ole Anderson and that's fine because the same time I was waking up with a little heartache, with a little serious pain, he was waking up with twice as much serious heartache and serious pain. And the four husband blanchards, I Iron and Anderson, Ole Anderson, James J. Dillon, and the nature boy, Rick It brings to mind one thing. At the Great American Bash, this country's capital, Washington, D.C., is a very place in my heart because that place
10: but you can't is, is where it's, it's going to happen. I know Chad brought him up before without talking about Dusty Rhodes. And you and Dusty had an awesome feud for the TV title that felt like, you know, lasted, I guess it really did, last about a year or so. I mean... It was just awesome feud between you guys. Great, you know, blood feud. What are your memories of Dusty? Because obviously, you know, he's gone too soon, and uh, he's one of the greatest of all time.
5: Oh, absolutely, Dusty was was probably the greatest talker. They, that, this business has had some really great talkers, but you know, Dusty was. I mean, he was flamboyant. He was uh, just his persona his character, his, uh, the son of the plumber, uh, the great American dream and the way he delivered it was, was just awesome. And then when he became the booker for us, it was, uh, you know, the, there's some personal stuff that he and I talked about that I think made him, uh, get over even to a, to a different degree. Um, because back in those days, you know, the TV title was, was one fall, 20 minutes. And if you didn't beat me in 20 minutes, I won the match. That was kind of the, the gimmick. Uh, all I had to do was get, get a time limit and I won. And it wasn't a time limit draw type thing in the record. Like the records actually meant something, but, uh, uh, and I told Dusty I said Dusty nobody thinks you can go 20 minutes and he and I wrestled 20 minute time limits and long matches that nobody expected him to be able to do and it just really aided to his credibility and so we wrestled and then he'd wrestle somebody else for a little bit and then he and I would come back and we had the you know the the match for baby doll then we had the the first blood match, and then we had the barbed wire matches, and then he'd wrestle somebody else for a little bit. I'd go wrestle somebody else for a little bit, and then we'd come back again. And, uh, you know, it was, I probably had the longest feud with Dusty uh, of anybody in professional wrestling. Uh, and uh, it, it, was, it was just uh, a joy to go out and make people scream. Uh, as you were getting green elbow pad, and uh, you know it, it was it was just a just a neat neat time in this business.
10: Yeah, looking back, you versus Dusty's an awesome feud, and then you think of Dusty of him versus and Well, me, as Della I, man, that's
4: a uh, know me. preacher down home, and also take a while from you to say the preaching's over now and the praying's begun, but the preaching is over between me and you. I mean, you got the first jab in. Your money bought something very important to this country. But all of us can't be bought. So the preaching is over. It's time to start paying the dues. Ted, you know, to be out there. Dr. Dr. Rose. We'll the be all, all over it, Daddy. Well, I posted on Twitter. I said, you know, you know, yesterday wrestling lost. An
8: unbelievable wrestler and an incredible entertainer. I lost the coastline uh, My relationship with Dusty goes all the way down to, to the beginning of not only we pre my career. Uh, I went to West Texas State. Again, I'm one of many guys like Dusty, another guy that was here today, I played I was on the lead, Tito Santana and I were yep. football team. Me, Tito and Kelly Blanchard. A lot of wrestlers came out of West Texas State. But I actually met Dusty at Vic Murdoch's house in Texas hmm. and then when we started doing the business, the I mean, Dusty's, you know, Dusty as long as I've known Dusty that reputation of being great. Yeah. A lot of people look at on you, know, like you know like kind of a sloppy body thing well, I'm really wasn't a great investor yes he was and to say that what you have to understand is Dusty Dusty could have a technical match like I'm I'm known for having Given. Yeah. And his gimmick was, I'm the son of a former yep. average man, I'm like, the oh, right. man, and I look like that Yep. but when he became NWA world champion, we had this conversation with wrestling men, and he so said there's a lot of guys that don't think that I can carry this belt, or I can do it, let's go show them again. There you go. And we did, we went out, we went 55 Wow. before the house down. Wow. out. Uh, of course, you don't know, talk about Dusty. Dusty's always this tough, you know, drop on cowboy guy. Yep. When he comes to the WWE, and it makes him, you know, the guy. In the paradise, that's right?
14: right. Yep. But Dusty, you know, he did the whole big
8: bit about the whole thing. He <laughs> adapted, and brother, he did that <laughs>
14: extremely well.
8: Yep. And again, I had a lot of fun. That's the, that's the only real program that I had the opportunity. Wrestle the the guest Then I had to be fortunate to
12: help him break son. Right. Yep. Started,
9: uh, and even to this day, I
8: and my son fact, Yes, they were. They're, they're very close friends as well. My heart goes out to Michelle's wife and, uh, and the boys. I don't know how I am my boys, I don't know how much I don't much
0: it's a terrible loss, but thank you so much for joining us, Ted. Where can the, the fans tell Hero Matsuda, the Shogun,
4: that Dusty Rhodes is looking for? And in Greensboro, North Carolina, on the 25th, I'm gonna find it. The Shogun now, not on Anderson, Tyler Rick Flower. On a total package, Lex Luger comes for Dusty Rhodes. But now they send the Orient's best, the old master, the master of evil, the master of the Orient, Devil, Hiromatsuna, the Shogun for Dusty Rhodes. Johnny Weaver taught me well. The stories alone, the Battle of 68. Is evil just to hear Johnny Vallon-Weaver talk about it. But now then, it's me and you on that stumbling block to Stockade yeah, 19 and 80. The privilege of talking to
9: him before uh, he passed on, but I know he was a big part of your career, especially in the NWA and everything else, was uh, the American dream, Dusty Rose. Do you uh, have fond memories of Dusty?
15: Uh, I, have, I have mixed mixed memories with Dusty, part of it being business and then part of it being uh, the business part is when I was actively wrestling and he was actively wrestling and then later on um, when we were both uh, coaching and teaching at the WWE school uh, for the up-and-coming wrestlers at the wrestling camp, um, understanding the business part of of it, uh, he was doing a job in which he had to do and that, uh, at the time, and that was in the Carolinas. Um, I'm going to say back in um, 84, 1984, in which the phrase that I will use in our business, he was the booker, which is like the matchmaker. And it makes it kind of hard uh, when you have the, harder for me and everybody else, uh, when you are the booker, the matchmaker, and you also are still actively wrestling. All right. Um, a lot of the guys that were bookers in uh, in different territories around the country were mostly guys that had been retired from the ring, so they did, you know uh, they weren't wrestling and, and then also penciling in themselves hmm. in in uh, specific matches, um, and so but you know and I didn't come to realize this uh, until maybe a couple of months ago. And the only reason why is because the subject of uh, Dusty Rhodes came up again. And I think it was the very next day that he passed. Hmm. And um, I was in the Carolinas, and Dusty was the new booker in the Carolinas, and Dusty was wrestling as a, he's always like a good guy. And I've always been a good guy, which is a babyface, if you've ever heard the phrase. Yes, of course. And, um... Um, and, and the way things thinks that he was writing, uh, me being one of the, the top babyface in the Carolinas and having a ton of matches against Ric Flair, um, in the sense, and it's just being smart business, using me in a way, and then um, him coming in, and whoever I couldn't beat, he would beat. Hmm. <laughs> I see what you mean, yeah. So the fans in the Carolinas would say, God, Ricky couldn't beat him, but Dusty could, so God, Dusty's much better, or is better. And it sort of left a bad taste in my mouth. And that was one of the reasons why I left the Carolinas. And at that time, I went to the, when it was the WWF. Right. And Vince McMahon Jr. And um, George Scott, who was the booker. There's that word again. <laughs> and welcomed me to come to the to the WWF. In which, at that time, my career jumped and went to another level. And here it is. Almost 30, 85, 95, 30 years later that um, I realized that because of the situation in the Carolinas back in, the, in 1984 and 1985, which caused me to leave, I gave my notice and left. Um, and then my career took another big bump up. Then I looked back and I said, you know, Dusty, I got to really thank you. <laughs> right. You know? Yep. I got to really thank you for that. Definitely. Uh, and it wasn't until just a couple couple weeks ago, the day after you passed it, I, I, it dawned on me. Mm-hmm. A little slow so I'm making you a yeah, promise. Yeah,
4: and I've always kept my promise. This heartbeat of America will be the United States Heavyweight Champion, Lex Luger. And I will do it with the Weaver Lock. There's no hold any more devastated, any more powerful than Dusty Rose Weaver Lock, except Maybe the hole that this whole world has on my heart. This whole world has a hole. Oh, my God. Oh, my heart! For 16 years, the American dream has done it with you. Don't fail me now. No, don't fail me now. We got a big battle in front of us, baby. And it's just starting. So let's get fucking like a monkey.
10: We'll, but, you know, we we'll were be right talking, back, in. um You know, before we did the interview, we were talking on the phone, and you kind of were you know, flipping the script a little bit, and you asked me, you know, some of our favorite guests and some of our right. least favorite guests. And, uh, you know, the favorite one, the f- one that came out first and foremost, was Dusty, and I kind of shared a little bit of uh, our Dusty story with you. But you had an unbelievable Dusty story for me that was almost uh, – yeah, you know, too good to be true. But oh. you just tell you just uh, retell that awesome dusty story you told me because that was yeah. It was
16: what, what happened was I was turning forty years old. My wife threw me a surprise birthday party, and uh, I was out of town. Friends took me out of town. And I came back. I was expecting something, but I wasn't expecting like 40, 50 people there. And it's forty, fifty people, and I hear a voice in the backyard, and it was uh, Bear theme, Come on out. This is your life. And my wife had gone through my friend Barry, uh, Dusty Rhodes, to come speak and host This Is Your Life. And it was like, oh, my God, Dusty Rhodes. I had never met Dusty Rhodes before. And Dusty was telling stories about me. He got there a few hours early and talked to my wife and kids, my ex-wife and kids, about my life. And he would be talking. Now I remember the time Barry called me up. We were traveling. a little, And he wanted to know this about this. And I'm, he was so good, I was believing him that I actually knew. <laughs> and actually, that was the night I had been talking for years of doing a documentary on wrestling, and no one knew I really was a wrestling fan because I kept it quiet. And I was, like, pushed out of the fan closet. And I said, well, might as well make the movie now. So that was the inspiration for the movie, the inspiration for me getting off my ass to make the movie.
0: Dusty's giving Steve Carino the
8: first shot. He is inviting Steve Carino to rear back and hit him. Dusty Rhodes wants to take Carino's best shot right here in the opening minutes of this matchup. I don't know if that's a wise idea. Steve Carino has so many
6: tricks from that long career of his in the old school style. I know
10: you've been growing up. He's probably one of the guys that you love growing up What's it like being able to wrestle him and then having like an awesome bull rope match for them? It was, you know, what it was, it was surreal
6: because, um, you know, we always used to joke with Dreamer. Cause Dreamer will, you know, talk about himself in the third person as the Dream and stuff like that. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know Dusty was in the building that night when they. And he goes, "Oh, you're working with the Dream." I go, "All right, cool, man. What are we doing?" You know, like I, <laughs> I'm just thinking, uh, you know, it, it's, it's. I'm wrestling Tommy Dreamer. He goes, "No, man." You're doing something with the dream, and I'm like, <laughs> what? And um, yeah, I, that was the first thing we met, and I, I said, sir, would you? You know, we got this promo, blah blah blah. What would you like to? He goes, kid, if you're as good as they say you are, well, we don't need to talk about anything. We just do it. I said, oh, okay. And um, and the original plan was that he was just going to give me one big elbow. I would. You know, I would bump for him and roll out, and we'd be done. You know, that was, it was a one-time thing. We weren't even going to use it for TV because we didn't know if, like, you know, he had just gotten released earlier that week from WCW, so we, we didn't know what we could use. And then it was, as soon as, you know, as soon as they came alive for the first elbow, Jack was like, oh, you know what, I'm in here. And it, it just felt like it was magic because, you know, I'd get back up. I, he'd get back up. I'd get back up. I took the big bump and stayed in the center because I knew the big elbow had to come. And right from there, he told Paul, "He's like, put me in a program with this kid, you know." And uh, yeah, it just—it was glorious. And Paul asked, "He goes, how do you see this ending?" And I go, uh, "You know what? Bull rope match." And he goes, "Let's do it." I'm like, "We what? yes Yeah, and we end—we end up doing the bull rope match, and one of the—it is the greatest thing. You know, people always talk about like winning the ECW title, was that Paul's greatest honor for you and stuff, which, and it was, it was great honor. But the greatest thing he ever said to me is he pulled me aside as soon as I got through the locker room after the bull rope match, and he grabs me, he goes, Steve Carino, that was better than anything that him and Tully ever did. You know, <laughs> Paul had no idea that, you know, my, my three favorite wrestlers when I was growing up was Wildfire Tommy Rich, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, and Tully Blanchard. And that's what I saw in this feud—is that I was the Cully Blanchard, Eddie Gilbert, in, you know, type of heel. And, and when he said that, like, I was like, "Thanks, Paul," you know, like, I, like I was misty-eyed. I was, I was so excited.
10: <laughs> that's great tip.
8: Around the world have been following this part for years, for decades. This is unbelievable.
4: You know that sign said it all that we saw? Top of the world. Say it ain't so, Dusty.
8: Reminiscent of Say It Ain't So, Joe, the 1918 Chicago Black Sox scandal. Well, it's so. He stabbed us all in the back. He's spitting our face. getting kidding? The NWO stabbed more guys in the back than Joe Pesci. This is just the latest. There's your buddy, uh, Tony. My buddy. Wearing an NWO shirt. There's your buddy, Tony. When I talked with him on WCW Saturday night, this past Saturday, nothing okay, could have happened. Okay,
4: uh, why don't you lay a little rap on him? Because everybody here wants to hear Dusty Rhodes testify. Oh, uh, thank you, brother. Hey, is this just too sweet?
10: interesting, because we, we have a funny little tie-in, because uh, we were actually, you know, honored enough to have Dusty Rose's final interview, and the last thing that he mentioned to us, and this is so like weird, but kind of just in a funny way, we were joking about how he turned and joined the NWO, and he jokingly was kind of like saying that, he you know, he did it to kind of, you know, beat you up, and that he really just wanted to, to beat <laughs> up the disco, and, and it was just so <laughs> funny the way we ended it with him.
3: <laughs> well, did he? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, that's funny because I, I know, you know, they came to me and it was up to me whether it went that way or not. And I knew it would make Dusty happy. And then and I knew it was, a you know, like me and Bischoff and me and Hall, I mean, that was the two biggest buy rates they ever did. And, and we were definitely the cherry on top of the cake, you know, with everything else. But, um, yeah, it was a one-time deal, but but Dusty, I remember he dropped an elbow on me, and he like landed all of his weight at that elbow. He dropped during the Scott Hall match, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, I remember that. That worked out good.
10: Did you and Dusty have a good relationship?
3: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Dusty had a good relationship, and. Um, you know, a lot of places, especially when I would come down and do stuff for the Crockett's or uh, sometimes TBS, you know, Dusty was their booker. And uh, Dusty always treated me right. He always recognized the talent. I remember when I first got I'll tell you a funny story. I first came in, it was the mid-70s for a little bit in Georgia. And uh, they had like Georgia Championship Wrestling. And I think Dusty was down there and the Crockett's you know, had me come over. So I was doing some interviews down south for the Crockett's. And I hidden an interview about the South, of course, because I was a bad guy against Tommy Rich, the good old Southern boy, going on how I'm gonna you know, beat him up so bad they're gonna carve his face on Stone Mountain next to Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis and the rest of the great all time American losers you know, and I, I the interview was so good the Crockett's wanted to fire me. It pissed them off. They were southern guys. And Dusty said, No, no, the guy gets he just standing there you know, so and then you know, Dusty had you know, me do with the thing with Baby Doll with the secret letters, but then they fired Baby Doll, so I never finished. But and you know, we always got along good. I always had, you know, appreciated the fact that you know, he knew I had the talent, and he was always behind me, so it worked out. Uh, it worked out interesting,
10: for sure. And and another thing, and that, you know what you, know, you, you I... kind of gave me?
3: You kind of gave me goosebumps. When you told me that story of Dusty's last year and you were talking about me. Yeah. Because the last time I saw Dusty, I mean, the poor guy, he didn't look too good. He was getting pretty gray looking. But but the last time I saw Dusty, right before he died, I got the weird feeling that something was going to happen, you know, and I would wind up like him. And I kind of realized, but after Dusty died, because Dusty was involved in the Performance Center, you know, helping mm-hmm. him out, and unfortunately, you know, the Performance Center that lost a lot of knowledge when Dusty passed. So I, you know, I think there's a void there I can fill.
10: Definitely, yeah, you could definitely fill, you know, that uh, that leadership yeah, role you know, for the weird, next generation. We're just, yeah,
3: we're Weird, you yeah. know. Anyway, I mean, we always had a good time.
10: Yeah, that is, that's amazing. And it was just a funny thing. We do the
3: broadcast. I remember doing the broadcasting with him at TBS a lot. It was funny because he'd be doing his Dusty talk. You know, remember the ball the woods? And I go, what? Yeah, great.
10: Great connection so, so that we time, have. The time. We
4: I go. know, Gunther, that I am now more prepared than any time in my life for Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion, because Dusty Rhodes now he is at the final conflict. Man, this guy. And that's what I'm dusty, no, Dusty, Dusty, please stop. Dusty. Wait a minute.
10: Wait a minute. The Hey, oh my God! Had a learning curve and learning a lot about the business. But what was it like down there in Florida? Because that seemed like a hotbed of a territory. <laughs> Obviously, when Eddie was running it. And you're down there, you know, with the devil-worshipping stuff, and you're feuding with the American dream, Dusty Rhodes.
13: Yeah, it was... Uh, if you go back and look at the cards, it was everything that if I wrestled Dusty or uh, Blackjack, uh, they were wild matches, blood and gore. But there was so many solid talent that went through there. Ron Bass, Barry Wyndham, Scott McGee, Tony Charles, Les Thornton, Billy Robinson, uh, Mike Graham. I could go on and on and on. Because Eddie made everybody pull together. And then on Tuesday nights, no matter who was the booker, Eddie was the booker Tuesday because that was Tampa. And Eddie booked that card, and he booked it like he would give you a finish that you wouldn't talk to someone because it was so long. He made you think. He made you a better performer, and you got there because they wanted you to think and make you a better performer. You talked about it in the car for three hundred miles. Do you know what I'm saying? So it was a, it was a hotbed to learn at. And everybody here, not everybody, but a lot of people that had come through there were former bookers or own territories or whatever. So it was very, very, uh, it was the right time. It was the right time, right situation.
10: Now, where did all that, you know, the devil-worshipping stuff, the army of darkness, <laughs> that, all that yeah. dark cool stuff, especially for that time period was a little bit shocking.
13: Ken, kind of, where did that yeah.
10: all come from? Uh,
13: I never said the word devil in the whole time I ever worked there. It worked anywhere. Dusty called me, you know, the devil himself, but the thing was, I had been to uh, Asia quite a bit with Mark Lohan, Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia. So I picked up on Buddhism, Hinduism, I went to, bunch of Buddhist temples, and I went to cave temples in Nepal, Malaysia. I like history, and I like to go places, and Hong Kong, uh, New Zealand, Singapore, Samoa, and we're talking 25 years ago, when it was really kind of backwards still, so I had that in my head, and I also had MTV had just started, right?
0: So, Mm -hmm. Billy
13: Idol, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Everything was dark and heavy, and at the time, the slasher movies were out. You know what I mean? And I said this will work right now, I think, and especially look at the Michael Jackson's biggest hit was Thriller. He turns Michael Jackson turns into a werewolf. You know what I mean? Uh, if you ever watched the video, uh, it's it, so that was the time, and I was the first guy. To really push the envelope. So.
10: Yep, definitely. You were way ahead of your time. Did yeah. people kind of think that you were actually into that stuff? Because that was Absolutely, absolutely, defensive.
13: absolutely. People always, and I mean, some people still, uh, you know, say stuff that they believe in it. I mean, I am an Irish Catholic from South Boston, so. I don't think that would work. My mother would beat the devil out of me. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, I had to put my mother over, you know. so.
2: You know, yeah. we actually we had the opportunity to speak with Dusty uh, just before he passed away, literally a couple wow. of days before he passed away. And the focus of the conversation was the Florida Territory because they were planning the big reunion uh, that Joe Malenko was putting together you know, almost a year ago at this point. But Dusty talking about how, you know, the American dream was the character or the, the gimmick or whatever, the person that that territory needed at that point. Did it seem like he was the perfect foil for you, or was did you feel like with what you had as, you know, the the, uh, the Satanist, the devil worshiper, that you really could have worked with anybody that was put into that babyface spot?
13: Well, Mulligan was the guy that I really got me over, but Dusty it was, you know. Yin, yin, yang. It was black and white. It was night and day. We were polar opposites. And I said that on my interview. I said, You know, you guys are believing this American dream. There's no more American dream. You're out of work. You got four kids. Things are looking bad. And he's telling you, you know, stay in there and push. I'm telling you, there's nothing you can do. The end is near. You know I'm doom and gloom, and he's uh, talking about you know after the matches going to uh, some cowboy redneck bar having a few beers. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it 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 did. It was like anything else. It was just perfect timing, and I had the best baby faces in the world to work with. I had Dusty. I had Blackjack. I had Barry. I had Mike Graham. I had superstar Billy Graham. I mean, I wrestled them, and especially Blackjack, Barry, and Dusty, for four years, every night, in some kind of stipulation, in singles, tags, or 6 bands, you know? So...
2: Oh yeah, without a doubt, actually, and of course, we just lost Blackjack uh, about a week and a half ago. And again, you know, it's another huge loss to professional wrestling. That's uh, a proud
4: moment. In my heart, because a long time ago, I knew what titles meant what it was to be the best at what you are. TA went down, Nikita off stepped in, took the ball, and ran with it. My super partner, the superpower, now rules the squared circle, the world's television champion. That's serious business. That's risky business.
10: That's what it's all about. And then a little bit after that, obviously, you team up with Dusty, you become the superpowers, which is a great tag team. And then there's a great picture um, of you guys holding up the Crockett Cup as you guys won the 1987 Crockett Cup. What was it like teaming with Dusty? What were those crowds like? They just seemed like they were nuts for you guys.
17: They were. They were electrifying would be the way I would phrase right. it. And uh, I enjoyed tagging with Dusty. We became uh, really uh, really close um we traveled together uh drove drove uh, to a lot of towns together him and I and, and uh just became uh became uh, good friends and um which i i know from other interviews and conversations he's um, not uh, not necessarily considered by by many of my my peers in the business to uh, have have received Uh, A lot of compliments, but, you know, it's neither here nor there. I, for one, have uh, just a lot of respect for Dusty, his his, uh, psychology and ring knowledge and skill and ability um, in and out of the ring. And so he's another one who helped really uh, put the character uh, on the map to, to what it became. And so to become the superpowers and travel with him, and stand before sold out crowds electrified crowds was uh was thrilling to say the least uh, you know the the two-day tournament in baltimore was um what was uh, a lot of fun and just have very fond memories looking back at the uh the superpowers and, and what we did together
10: 1987 the feud of the year was the superpowers along with the road warriors which is just an awesome awesome team looking at i mean Putting those teams together is great and you guys ended up shooting with the four horsemen and then of course war games comes about. Can you tell us a little bit about working the war games match and being involved in the war games?
17: Another uh another amazing um, uh creation of Dusty's that uh yeah. that got got over big time. Um what a what a concept. You know, double ring, double cages, you know, cage completely caged in, you know, Flip a coin, two guys in, alternated back and forth, and you know, with uh, a two-on-one advantage, until uh, all all ten guys are in the ring, and you know, until someone quits. The fans, I mean, just ate it up everywhere we went. They 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 loved it, and and it was fun to be a part of. You know, as as the fans tried to guess, you know, who's next and then what's going to happen, and just kept them. Really kept the fans on the edge of their seats and, and in in engaged from from the opening bell to the to the to, to the final bell. You know, it's so really it was uh, amazing to be a part of. I
4: get tired of reading about it. Yeah, you know we actually- because until they deal with me, then they can't go saying what they're talking about. Ric Flair, Tony Blanchard, The Kolos, The Gorilla showed you what it was all about. And now then, my main man is back in town, unpredictable Dick Slater, Jack. He be looking so clean, I ain't seen him in months. Matter of fact, we just got a shot of his girlfriend sitting on the front row. Lovely lady, lovely lady. Mr. Electricity, Ric Flair, Dusty Rose, the American Dream. So now then, the got to deal with the thing that we're going to take the world titles, bring it back to this country. All right. Now then, one final parting thing. Ric Flair, dressed from head to toe, looking finer than the best. The major league himself. Sooner or later, you're going to wake up in the morning and all them clothes going to be laid in a bundle and your, your sheets are going to be covered with sweat. You're going to be shaking and trembling you going to call your ladies on the phone and you're going to say, Ladies, how did I lose that world's title to the American dream, Dusty road. And it ain't no doubt. Or how did I lose that title to Magnum T.A.? There ain't no doubt. Because, as I said before, deal with the dealer. It is there.
14: I'm very happy to have with me right now. Now,
10: obviously, we were talking about... Championship Wrestling in Florida, at first we, we mentioned that, and you can't really talk about that without talking about the late, great Dusty Rhodes, who I know that, you know, you were obviously close with at one point in time. But what are your memories of Dusty?
7: Well, as, as a kid growing up, Dusty Rhodes was a hero of mine. You know, Dusty Rhodes was bigger That's kind of, it's, you know, all this is kind of hard to imagine in today's internet. Everybody knows everything, uh, Twitter world. But, you know, D- Dusty Rhodes was a bigger star in the state of Florida, then the governor at the time, then the football players, then I mean he was the biggest star in the state of Florida. And and even if you weren't a wrestling fan back then, you knew who Dusty Rhodes was. And you know he just had you know everybody saw what he had. But you know back this is back in his prime when he you know made that baby face turn and, turn and and you know they were doing this new innovative booking in Florida with these unique angles and huge baby uh, huge heels to bring in to feed the Dusty and. um You know, it was a really fun time and, and, you know, like I said, you know, they had wrestling on Wednesday nights at the Miami Beach Convention Center and that held about 5,000 people and that would sell out for the big cards and come pretty darn close for the rest. But then down where I lived in Fort Lauderdale, there was a little old National Guard armory that, uh, that, uh... Hold. I, I was just I just reached out to some people. I was I was curious how much it helped. To my if I had to guess, I'd probably say six seven hundred people. And there were only four matches on the shows most of the time because they split the, the the night with Tallahassee. So it, you would get the A team in Tallahassee because it's a bigger arena, and you get a small little B squad in um, in Fort Lauderdale, at the National Guard Armory, no air conditioning uh, year round. But um, four times a year, Dusty Roads would come and it would be five or six matches. It would be the big extravaganza show of the season, and they would announce at, at uh, before intermission that Dusty Rhodes was going to be there next week or in two weeks, and legit. I, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but this is small little South Fort, Fort Lauderdale where Dusty Rhodes was coming 40 minutes away uh, to the National Guard armory, so it wasn't all that rare to be able to see him, but just to see him up close and personal like that, it would sell out by the time inter- intermission was halfway done. I mean, people would buy every ticket they could and, you know, bring their friends and their, their kids. And so, yeah, he was, he was a huge part of my, my childhood and and my teenage years. And, you know, then to be able to get to work with him and for him was an absolute honor. And, you know, out of all the wrestlers that, and friends that we've lost in this crazy business, Dusty really hit me the hardest. And, uh, still, you know, I watch the interviews that are on YouTube and I can't believe that He's uh, that he's gone. he will never be forgotten.
10: It's crazy, oddly enough. Uh, we actually had his, his final interview ever. He was actually promoting the uh, the Armory, the Hall of Fame down there in Florida. And uh, it was quite an honor to be able to get, on, get him on. And he, you know, unfortunately passed only a few days later. So it just was, uh, it made it even more shocking for, you know, us up on the show. We were just, um, we couldn't believe it.
7: Yeah, well, um that that was the day that we you know because I was at that 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 gig and it's right down the street from my house and uh, you know it was unique because not only was it one of the biggest gathering of Florida legends it probably was the biggest gathering of Florida legends ever but um, it it was the, the we had gotten the news earlier in the day I was sitting at my desk in my office at home and my wife called me and said are you on the internet and I said yeah why and she said I think I just saw that Dusty Rhodes died and I was in a state of shock I googled it and sure enough. And, um, you know, then we had to, I said, I said how are we going to go do this this fundraiser with all these people that, you know, Dusty lo- knew and, and loved him. And, you know, to see J.J. J. Dillon in tears and to see Terry Funk and Dory Funk and J.J. J. Dillon and all these legends, Bugsy McGraw sitting there before the show telling Dusty stories. It was, you know, I, I, I sort of think things happened for a reason. And even though it was so, so tragic to lose him, So early, you know, in life, you know, uh, because he was still a young guy in in this generational, you know, uh, you know, of of people living a long time. But uh, I kind of think that maybe, you know, it was it happened that day because, you know, somebody wanted all his friends to be in the same place or a lot of them. So uh, and then I went to his funeral and, um, you know, Dusty was a great guy. I moved not to jump ahead, but I moved down to Tampa with the uh, XWF uh in 2001 beginning of 2002 but i had my family down to tell them that we were moving here i had two young kids and a wife and i was commuting back and forth from atlanta to um just a quick dusty story that's why I'm, i'm telling i was um commuting to tampa and um we brought my wife and my kids and my parents and my 90 something year old grandmother at the time and my brother and my sister down here for Thanksgiving. They all traveled to be together because they lived in South Florida. My, we lived at the time in Atlanta. And um, so Dusty Rhodes was having a big family gathering for Thanksgiving uh, in uh, his house on the beach. Uh, it was actually Jerry Sag's house. Jerry Sag was his brother-in-law, but um, they both had a piece of it at the time. And um, so Dusty heard that I was going to be uh, – you know, not at home for Thanksgiving. And he invited me, you know, to come over through Jerry Sags, who was working for the XWF. And, you know, I called him up and I said, Dusty, you know, I really appreciate, uh, you know, that you invited me. But I got my mother, my father, my grandmother, my brother, my sister, my family, it's too much. And he he said, I'll never forget it. And my wife was the one who reminded me when he passed. He said, nobody I know spends Thanksgiving in a hotel. Hmm. So he demanded that I come bring my entire family uh, we had a blast. I mean, so uh, so you know Jerry Sags was there, and you know Brian nobs and their, all their families, and uh, it was just a great time. And you know, I had I had forgotten it because you get old and you you know your memory goes. But you know, as soon as my wife mentioned it, I I, I was like, oh my god, I forgot that. So you know, cool story. Here's this guy who's the um, you know one of the most well-known personalities in the state of Florida. You know, known all over the world and. You know this little ring announcer. He, you know, doesn't want him, him and his family to spend Thanksgiving in a a restaurant or the hotel. So, uh, what a uh, what a good guy, and uh, he will be missed.
10: Yes, yes, and that's an amazing, amazing story. And it's funny. He kept calling uh, me and my uh, my tag team partner. He kept calling us wrestling historians, and which we we you know we were laughing because everyone usually calls us Mark. So it was just so <laughs> funny, like wow, like Dusty Rhodes. Oh my God, he's calling us. You know, everyone else is wrong. He's right. Uh, he's just, he just he makes you he makes you feel good. There's no doubt about it. Even us, who you know, we barely knew him. You know, he made us yeah. feel good. That's just well. I think, I think
7: he's. I think you know. I think he's changed, and a lot of the people in this business change. You know, when I was first getting in the business, you know, if you were a mark, you were you know, it was a bad term. You know, and and I'm a mark now, and I'm 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 proud of it. And I was I've always been a mark. You know, anybody who's a wrestling fan. Who, who breathes it is a mark, and, and I'm a mark for fantasy football, I'm a mark for the NFL, I'm a mark for the Tampa Bay Rays, who just hit another home run, thank God, they're finally going to win a game, I think. And, um, and uh, so, you know, long story short, but back then it was a derogatory term, you look down on it, but now with the, you know, technology the way it is, people like you are helping to spread the word, whether it's a, sh- uh, a gathering in Tampa, Florida for a fundraiser for a wall, uh, that you talk to Dusty about or, you know, somebody's promoting a book. I mean, you, you know, so I, I think Dusty evolved. Dusty was a smart guy. And, you know, who, the people he might have looked down to a little bit, you know, in, in the 70s because that's just the way it was, I think he, 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 he learned to value. And, you know, smart guys get with the times and dumb people stick with the old ways. And, and Dusty was definitely a smart one.
0: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading.